Hello and welcome to Transparent Homeschooling. I'm your host, Carla Givens. Today on the show, I have a special guest coming all the way from Australia. She is Nikki Farrell, and she is the co-owner of the Wildlings Forest School in Queensland, Australia. She also has a podcast with her uh, co-owner. They have a podcast called Raising Wildlings, and I have been listening to that lately and just learning a lot of information about unschooling and wild schooling and nature schooling. And I have to admit, I did not really know what unschooling was until just recently. In fact, I, in my head, I kind of thought that unschooling was just kind of not teaching your kids, maybe being lazy, letting your kids do whatever, whatever they want to do. And, um, it's a funny story. I took a test, like a quiz back in the summer about what kind of homeschooler are you? It was going around Facebook and, um, it said that I am an unschooler and I thought, well, this is wrong because I am a classical schooler. I use a classical curriculum. I teach my kids Latin. We do a lot of academics. Um, so then it, I couldn't really get it off my mind though. I wanted to look into more what unschooling is. And then I happened to start coming across other unschoolers, which before I hadn't really, um, I hadn't really known any unschoolers. So I have come to realize that most of us who homeschool are unschoolers in some way or another. And it's not that we're not, it's not that unschoolers don't teach their kids. They do, they do educate their children. It's just more um, natural learning. God created us. We are just naturally inclined to be curious and to want to learn. John Holt in 1977, he described learning, he described unschooling as interest-driven, child-led, natural, organic, eclectic, or self-directed. Um, and it's really just taking the school out of learning. So it's just realizing that learning does not only happen in a desk, in a school building between the hours of eight and three. It's learn. it's realizing and knowing that learning happens everywhere, wherever you are in any situation, you're always learning. God created us to be curious and natural learners. From the moment we were born, we learn. From the moment we can just move around, we're acting in our environment, we're learning to move, we learn to crawl, walk, talk, run, jump, and a bunch of other things. And we as parents, we're there to help guide our children. But really, I mean, they would learn to do a lot of these things on their own because that's just how God made us. He made us to be curious and to just naturally learn. So what unschooling is, it's just, it could be different from everybody. Some of, some unschoolers don't use a set curriculum. Um, some do, but they may not follow it exactly. It may be more like what we do. We have curriculum, but we also make sure that our curriculum is catered to our child's needs, to their level. We want to make sure it's developmentally appropriate. If we're learning about something, we're re if say we're reading a book and the book says something about Madagascar and then the child says, oh, well, I want to learn more about Madagascar. Instead of making sure we finish that chapter that was scheduled for that day, we start exploring Madagascar, and so we may um, look up animals from Madagascar. We may go on Google Earth and, you know, take a little tour around around the area. We may go to the library and check out books about Madagascar. And so it's just really um, following the child's interest and not just sticking to a specific schedule or a specific curriculum. So I think most homeschoolers actually do at least a little bit of unschooling, and it can look different for everybody. So Nikki, she is really nature-based with her um, with her unschooling, and so you're going to hear her talk a lot about that in this episode. Now, I have to warn you, my sound is very, like on my end, the sound quality is very poor. I forgot to plug my microphone in, and then I did not have very good internet connection. It completely kicked us off, and so um, my internet went, went out, and then I had to call back in using my phone and the microphone on my phone is not very good. So Nikki's sounds wonderful, but you will hear on my side, um, it doesn't sound very good, but please stick with us and just, um, you know, just forgive us and give us some grace for that because I've been wanting to do this interview for two weeks, but I actually have had, have been sick with COVID. And so I actually, I had to keep 
postponing it. And Nikki was just so gracious and she, she kept rescheduling for me. And then even though we both had some technical issues the day of our interview, we, we persevered and we made it work and it was a wonderful conversation and I actually hope to have more conversations with her. And my kids and I have always wanted to go to Australia, but now we do even more. Um, so anyway, I'll stop chatting so you can listen to the episode, but here is Nikki Farrell with Wildlings Forest School. And also, as always, please reach out and let me know that you're listening. Let me know what you want to hear in the future. Um, I actually had several people say that they wanted to hear from an unschooler. So I found Nikki, and then I actually have a couple more unschoolers interviews that are coming up that are still about this similar topic. So if there's anything else that you want to hear about or a person that you want me to reach out to, please let me know because this is just so much fun to to talk to new people that I've never met before. It's been, it's been so much fun. Just find me on Instagram or Facebook if you haven't already, Transparent Homeschooling. Um, you can email me at transparenthomeschooling at, gmail, at gmail.com. I also have a private Facebook group called Transparent Homeschooling where it's a small group or kind of small group and we'll post videos and questions and things like that. So if you want to be added to that, you can reach out and I can, um, I can invite you to that group because that's a lot of fun too. So anyway, um, I will let you hear the episode now. Here's Nikki. Hey, Nikki, how are you? I'm really well. Thanks so much for meeting me halfway across the world today. I mean, my kids are just as excited as I am that I'm talking to somebody from Australia because that's somewhere <laughs> we wanted to visit for so long. So today we learned about Australia and a Chris, like Christmas in Australia. So you'll have to tell me <laughs> what it's really like to see if we got it right. But so we've been listening to Australian Christmas songs and we made some, um, Pavlova, is that how you say that? Yes, ooh, yum, yes. (laughs) And so we've been learning all about Australia, and so they were asking me to, they were trying to wrap their brains around the time frame, so they're like, so it's tomorrow there? Like, Uh, yes, it's even a different month, because, you know, in a different month, so they just, they just thought that was so cool. So I'll have I to mean, have them listen to at least part of this. <laughs> we're time travelers. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it is. That's really awesome. What's it like in December? It is hot. So we live in the subtropics. So it's uh, humid, it's sweaty. I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. Uh, it is the first day of December. So we put our advent calendar up, but um, you know, our, our Santa Claus, when he gets to Australia, he wears shorts and probably a singlet and some thongs. You call them flip-flops, not thongs. <laughs> And probably a cap, a bigger Cobra hat, because it's so hot, we don't want him to get sunburned. That's awesome. different. And he uses yeah. kangaroos, right? We read that he uses kangaroos instead of rain. Yeah, kangaroos <laughs> land on all the rain tanks at all the farms. And we don't have a lot of chimneys over here because it doesn't, doesn't snow, except in a couple of states in very small mountainous areas. So, yeah, it's uh, crawling through the fly screen, wind screen windows because there's so many flies. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Well, it's snowing here and it normally doesn't really snow much in Tennessee because we're in the south, but it's very, very cold here today. Mm. So we were looking at all the pictures and videos of an Australian Christmas on the beach and we were kind of jealous because <laughs> I don't it's really like the we- cold. No, I don't either, which is why we moved up here. But it's funny, we still hold on to those English traditions of a, you know, the hot roast and a hot pudding. You think, what, are we sitting here sweating? You don't have air conditioning, it's miserable. So we try and do the cold cuts with the prawns and salads as well. But we still hold on to those. Oh, we still want it to feel a bit cool and warm. But yeah, yeah it's a, <laughs> it's a tradition funny is it's important, a, right? <laughs> it is. It just doesn't make sense when you're sweating, but that's okay. <laughs> Well, some, a couple other questions my kids wanted to ask you, because they are mm-hmm. obsessed with kangaroos and koalas, and they even made mm-hmm. crafts today. So have you ever seen a koala or a kangaroo just out in the wild, like not in a zoo? Yes. So I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, and we had kangaroos going, eating all of our wheat on our farm. Uh, I didn't grow up with koalas, but when I moved here to the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, there, there are patches of koalas here. So I've seen a couple in the National Park up at Noosa where we're going tomorrow for a beach day. Uh, and it's really common to see them there. So yeah, we do, we do see them, but you don't see them just walking down the street, except the one time I did see an emu walking down a street in a t 
town. Oh my goodness. But that was, we were all like, wow, this actually happened. People think this happens, but it did. That's awesome. Well, when the world goes back to normal and we don't have COVID here anymore, maybe we can like make it, make it to Australia someday. Absolutely. We'd love to host you. It'll be great fun. <laughs> well, so talk a little bit about yourself and your kids, your family, and just mm -hmm. your background. Sure. So um, I'm married to my husband, Scotty, who's an online triathlon coaching, uh, runs an online triathlon coaching business now called T-Zero Multisport. But he was a primary school teacher when we met uh, and I was a high school teacher when we met. Um, we had two boys. They're now six and eight and we now unschool and wild school. So it's we have a, an amazing amount of teachers that have left the system and are now homeschooling and unschooling. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's um, a bit of a canary in the coal mine, I think, but um, we can probably talk about that a bit later if you want. Um, and I live on some acreage here. We have about three acres with my mum and her husband and they work in the mines, so they're here week on, week off. I've had to duck down to their little cottage here at the moment We've got roadworks going on at my house <laughs> but we love it because they get to see their nana and poppy all the time and uh, we just have this really outdoorsy lifestyle which suits our very very active boys who we nickname kelpies because if we don't run the morning and night they chew the furniture <laughs> <laughs> i love it yes my four-year-old could live outside he is an adventurer mm. so love it um, so talk a little bit about the forest school. I've been um, learning about that just through your website and your, your podcast. I've really been enjoying listening to your podcast. So just explain like what a forest school is and how you, mm -hmm. how you started that and went down that path. No problem. So uh, when we were looking for schools for our children, my business partner and I, who I met at her nature play group, we just couldn't find the schools that we wanted. And we had these great ideas about what that could look like and just couldn't find it. And look, we are actually really lucky where we live. We have a bunch of great alternative schools, but we were really fussy, <laughs> um, which is funny because, you know, when you're a teacher, you think, well, teaching was great. And I absolutely thought that I would, my children would just go to school. And then I had my own children and suddenly everything changed. Yeah. So um, we started a homeschool co-op. I'd never even been to one before, but we started one for a kindy group, just a really small play-based one. And then come school later, we went, oh, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. uh, we went and did a forest school course and we started our little business just with forest kindy to start mm -hmm. with. So forest school philosophy is essentially outdoor learning uh, with a real focus on holistic, uh, I guess, holistic benefits to children. We're, that's what we thought we felt was missing from the schools that we were looking at. They were very academic focused. There was still lots of homework. There was lots of sitting and I just couldn't picture my boys in a classroom where they wouldn't be disruptive and labelled when I knew that they weren't misbehaving. They just had this energy that they needed to get rid of that they couldn't in the current classroom kind of climate. So, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> What's a typical day like at forest school though? Cause I mean, we love being outside and we love doing things outside, but I'm, as I'm like looking at your website and you're talking about, you know, starting fires and playing with knives and climbing trees. Like I feel like our group of our circle are very like helicopter parents. I don't know if you have that term. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, we have trouble letting kids do those things. And so that mm -hmm. was really interesting to me and something that I think I need to let go of and do a little more of. So can you just explain mm -hmm. some of that, like what a typical day would look like yeah. at a forest when, Look, when we first started, because I, I did do outdoor recreation before I did my teaching degree. So I, I think that helped, but I didn't work with kindy age children and I really didn't work a lot with primary school age children with fire or knives. I did aquatic based, you know, uh, windsurfing and kayaking and stuff. Um, so the thought of me doing this training and then going, being in charge of 30 children with knives, that was the picture I had in my head was 33 year olds with 30 knives. And that's yeah, just, that's, that's what just I'm thinking the too. reality. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, yeah. And that's why you just go, gosh, I've got a class and I've got a classroom and I've, well, we're doing knives. So everybody's got a knife, but it's, <laughs> it's not like that. Yeah. You get a knife, everybody gets a knife. <laughs> but it, it's, we're ratioed. So depending on what we're doing. So um, for knives with a three-year-old, it's one-on-one -on -one until we're absolutely certain that they can be on their own. But even then it's one-on-one, -on -one, but I might be sitting between two students when they're three years old. When they're four years old, we start getting a bit more spread out. Um, come primary school, it's one to five ratio. And then high school, it's, it can be one to probably 15, I would say. Depend, again, depending on the needs within that group um, and how 
how much you trust them, how much you know them, really. Yeah. Um, and then fires one to five, it's just about pretty much standard. As long as you've got one person on the fire at all times, just essentially being the security guard for the fire. But I think if I've learned nothing else is um, in the forest school philosophies that children are completely able and totally capable. And when you give them the safety guidelines, we try not to call them rules because they just, it's a language thing. Everything we do is just about keeping them safe. So there's no rules down at forest school that are just arbitrary. It's purely for safety. And they just, because it's interesting, it's engaging, um, it's really child-led and really rewarding for them. They, re- they really listen to them. Unless you've got a child with additional needs that might need a little bit of extra help understanding those rules or the reasons behind those rules, most kids are on board because they just want to do those activities. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So what's, what's the structure like of it? Like, do you have specific mm. things you're going to do each day? Like today we're going to whittle with knives and today we're going to make a fire or is it really mm. just the child just goes and says, this is what I want to do today? Or how, do, how does that work? Well, we started off because we were teachers and it was all new to us and we were <laughs> scared children were going to hurt themselves. We started off quite structured, but now it's quite seasonal. So um, during the winter, we'll do fire for two terms, so about 20 weeks. And it, we, will offer, we offer about two activities in a three-hour session. And that might be a cooking activity and uh, fire striking or I'm trying to think what else. We might make Play-Doh over the fire or something, but that's it. So in two hours, those are the two activities that you can choose to do. You don't have to do them. Otherwise, it's free play. That's taken us a long time to work back from because especially because we're a small business, we wanted to offer everything because people are paying, parents are paying, and we, particularly in homeschooling, it's generally one income family or, you know, both working part-time. And we felt like we needed to provide more, but we really quickly realised that children just want to be in the forest playing with friends and that all the things we were trying to teach them, they were learning without our guidance and better and faster. And we're retaining that information because they're doing it on their own terms. So that's been a huge de-schooling for us and a huge uh, amount of unschooling. But because the parents are there as well, they can see that and we can coach them through that. And we can say, oh, look, do you remember Beth yesterday was talking about tying her shoelace and we were going to teach her, but then, you know, Carl came and she taught her and, and she wanted to learn or she saw someone else, an older child doing it and, and mimics that. So that's been really interesting and a lot of letting go for me as a business owner, yes. <laughs> but it's really, essentially it's unstructured, two activities and completely unstructured other than a morning circle where we meet, we sing a song, we acknowledge our traditional landowners. We let them know what the two activities are. And then we say, see you at the end of the finishing circle, essentially. That's so cool. I love that. Mm. So how many kids do you have total in a typical session? So we, we could have as many as we wanted really in the space that we have, but we uh, cap out between 25 and 30, again, depending on the families that we have and the needs and the ages of the children. Okay. So we have two forest school leaders there, which is myself and Vicky, and we've got a couple of amazing staff, um, Amanda down in Brisbane. And then uh, we do have parents attending at the moment. So it's really like a homeschool co-op at the moment. Okay. kindy age children we offer a drop-off program for homeschoolers at the moment and they're really loving that and that those skills are just more progressive so it's essentially like um i guess scouts you have scouts and girl guides don't you yeah yeah but um more freer and less structured yeah that's really cool Mm. do you ever have a problem with parents trying to intervene instead of just letting the kids play or figure things out yeah this is probably the one time i'd say peer pressure is a wonderful thing (laughs) because we have so many parents down there you can pick the new parents um but you can also pick the new children your new children are bouncing around and oh there's a swing oh there's a creek oh there's a new tree or what you know so that they do have to follow them probably the first one to three weeks and then once they've settled into the space um you can see the parents going oh finally sit down and actually meet some mother mothers (laughs) fathers now um but I, I feel like in the nicest way, those parents weed themselves out if, if we're beyond their comfort level too. But if they make it past the three-week mark, then generally they'll stay. Yeah, it typically depends on how many children they have, how tired they are. You know, sometimes they want to just come to an activity where they can just sit and let their child play. But for those first three weeks, it's really hard to do that because, you know, the child wants to use a saw and they want to go in the water and they, they have to be quite active to supervise for the first couple of weeks and then you can see them finally being able to sit and relax 
Yeah, but yes, it is. It's a real thing. But because they can see all the other parents sitting in circle and chatting amongst themselves and just letting their children go, then you can see them go, oh, this is a place where I can and where nobody's going to call child services on me for neglecting my child. Yeah, I mean, that's a real concern here. I think that's part of, you know, why Mm -hmm. we're helicopter parents is because not just for our child's safety, but because we're worried that somebody else is going to call the cops on us for letting our kid climb a tree too high or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and look, I've personally had people approach me and so is Vicky about our children climbing trees or our children are those children that are climbing on the outside of the slide or on the roof of the playground and jumping off of it. So we do have um, confrontations, but we just say, you know, they've been climbing since they were this high. We trust them. We know them. They know their bodies and, you know, yes, they might break an arm or a leg, that's learning and that's our responsibility and we're willing to take that risk because we know that the benefits far outweigh the risks. Yeah, and You speak definitely. to OTs, you speak to doctors, you speak to physios, you speak to anyone that works with children, paediatricians, and they all know that that risky outdoor play in nature, that free play is the best thing for building strong bodies and, and academic minds. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, my mm. older two, they're eight and 10 and they, um, they've always been very cautious and that could be me. I don't know. That could be mm. because I was more cautious with them. My younger two, I'm kind of like, Oh, they're on the roof of the chicken coop. Okay. They'll be all right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but they it's... also are just more adventurous and just like being outside. So I don't know how much of that is me finally letting go as a parent or if that's really just their personality. You know, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for birth order because I'm the same, you know, we were far bigger helicopter parents. And by the time you have the second one, it's essentially, oh, raise yourself. I'm tired. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My younger one, like he will go outside no matter what the weather, as soon as he eat breakfast, he just wants to go outside. And he mm. literally was sitting on the chicken coop the other day. <laughs> and I, He was just looking up at the sky and I said, what are you doing? And he said, Oh, I'm just watching it snow. And it wasn't snowing that day. It was like summer weather that day. And today it's snowing. I was like, you're watching it snow. It's not snowing. And he said, I'm just pretending because I want it to snow. (laughs) But that's, again, it's that ability to have that free time to to use your, and to be bored. Boredom is the best thing for our children's creativity and also that emotional regulation and processing. We just don't have time in a really busy school schedule to stop and process everything that's happened in a day, which is quite often why you get that end of day after school fallout that emotional blur that parents end up with after school because they don't have time to sit and be and sit with those feelings absolutely yes this this year of 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 covid where we've had to change a lot of the the outings that we normally do it's Mm. actually really been nice in ways for us to just be at home more and have more time to go to the park whenever we want to and things like Mm. that so I mean, 2020 has been crazy, but that part of it has been pretty nice. (laughs) Silver linings and everything, isn't there, if you find, if you look for them. (laughs) So where do you guys usually meet? Do you have certain land that you meet at or do you just go to different parks around or how do you do that? A bit of both, actually. So we have permits with our local council. I don't know what you call your councils over there, shires, no? Um, The local government board bodies anyway. And then... um, then we have a permanent space as well. Well, not permanent, but it, we hire a space off of a local church and our PCYC, which is essentially like a YMCA, but that the police, local police run. Yeah. Um, so we have a whole higher agreement with them and a whole higher agreement with the church. We're just so lucky that the pastor at the local church is an outdoorsy guy. So it's just, just says, please use it. We want people using this space. I think it's great that what you're doing because it could have been the complete opposite. And, and same with the PCYC, they're all about engaging youth in community to make sure that they have connection because we all know that you know, children that get into trouble essentially are disconnected from their families and communities. So if anything that's community building, they're all for. So we're very lucky. Um, but then our play groups are all around the coast. So we do rainforest, we do beach play, we do waterfalls. It's really, yeah, it's, oh. we're really blessed where we are. It's spectacular here. That is so cool. I wish we could do that. I actually was looking today to see if there were any forest schools around us. And I did see some like nature-based co-ops and things like that. You may try to check out out something like that. I didn't even really know that that was a thing. Like we do a co-op and we have this year, we added a park day. 
to just nice. mainly to be more safe because of COVID, but it's actually been our mm. favorite thing, you know? Uh, so I'm, so I'm really interested to look into more of that and see what's offered around here. Mm. To see yeah. if we can start something similar to that. Yeah, you should definitely. I, I've, I've just seen children come down that have had sensory issues and don't like dirt and don't like mud and are scared of being outdoors essentially. And that's particularly now, I think 2020, you know, the germophobia is going to start and the OCD tendencies in children that who have already have anxieties is really going to kind of level up. Um, and they've just within, again, that it seems to be that three week mark, you know, we've had children that have come down in a white cardigan and said, I don't do mud. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's the clean mat and you can just stay there and craft and we'll bring things to you. And then within three weeks, they're naked in the Creek. So it's perfect. <laughs> you just kind of have that, you have a clean mat and you have that where they can just kind of go at their own pace. That's awesome. Again, like it's that, that with, without being peer pressure, it's they can see, they get that fear of missing out, that FOMO. They can see all the children climbing and running and splashing and they're just stuck on this mat so that they, but they have the time and the pace and the encouragement without the pressure to um, come off the mat when they're ready. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often, but um, yeah, we haven't had anyone that hasn't come back. So that's good. Now, have you had anyone get seriously injured? Oh, touch wood. No, no. The worst we've had is, and yeah, look, it will happen, but you know, you're a school teacher too. So I saw breaks in playgrounds. I saw breaks from children tripping over on an oval on a field. Yeah. I've seen monkey bars and slides and, and just collision breaks as, as a, I'm a PE teacher too. So, you know, I, I saw concussions and blood noses and the worst we've had is a slice of bamboo on the webbing of a thumb um, a couple of small injuries on feet, on shoes, um, and a couple, yes, we have had a couple of whittling injuries. So in a circle of about 25, 30 children, if we have a session of whittling, we probably get one small cut every session, I say. But we warn the children, we warn the parents. This is the reality of whittling with a knife yeah. is that it's likely that it, on average we say anecdotally, one of you will get cut. And they will go, oh, it won't be me. I'm safe. <laughs> And we go, it's going to be you because <laughs> it's almost the child that's like, it won't be me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's yeah, but so far we haven't needed stitches or anything. And, you know, it will happen. It's just the nature of what we do. But the fact that yeah. we've been running for four years with children age from, you know, babies right throughout to the end of primary school just shows that children switch on in the forest. They're not complacent. They're more yeah. risk aware and they're capable when they listen to the rules. So... Yeah, and honestly, it does seem like the majority of the like the severe or the breaks or things like that are just from tripping down the stairs or just yeah. something something that's not you wouldn't think would be a high risk situation. Oh, it's so true. My children are ridiculous tree climbers, and you know, and we forest schooled for four years, and my eldest son's broken his arm two or three times. One was on a bike, one was tripping over a fence, and one was super manning onto carpet. So he just, and every time, like he hasn't had a break in years. This is when he was small. But I was like, are you serious? Like the things that I see you do and this is how you break your arm. And my youngest hasn't yet. So yeah, it's, it's I guess for a just, parent though, that's kind of better. Cause if you take them to the ER and you're like, oh yeah, they fell out of a tree, they climbed 30 feet <laughs> yes. up in the air. It may be a little worse for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, trampolines are the things that we've seen the most break within our family group and friend group. It's trampolines that have caused the most injuries. So, and we'll never get rid of trampolines. So, you know, so true. It's, yeah. we just call them childhood experiences or learning injuries. It's yeah. part of growing up. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it'll make them stronger adults. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, I want to talk about unschooling and wild schooling, but first, can you explain mm -hmm. like what are your guidelines or restrictions in Australia for homeschooling? Like, do you have laws for that? Yeah, yeah. We have to still. So everyone, every state is a little bit different, but essentially, you have to register with the home education unit of your state, um, and you essentially here in Queensland, at least, you have to put in a report, oh, sorry, a plan for five subjects, and then you have to report on three subjects at the end. So it's really, it's pretty easy because you just have to show progress within that. Uh, New South Wales is a bit stricter. Some states are a little bit more relaxed, but essentially as long as you put in a plan and you can show that your child's made progress, 
they're pretty cruisy. And to be frank, they are completely overwhelmed right now because they were overwhelmed prior to COVID. They are just swamped right now. So I think as long as you're, it looks like you're doing the right thing, you, you would get approved at the moment. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. Um, I, again, as a teacher, I think it's a little bit tokenistic. I don't think why, why part of me agrees with it that you should just be showing progress because I don't if I don't but necessarily believe in grading I don't think it's a healthy thing to compare students with other students when there's so much difference in um, our academic and developmental stages uh, yeah. I do think we could do better at perhaps screening families for neglect and abuse in the homeschooling system any system but it does happen naturally in schools anyway and I do think we could do a better job of that homeschooling but Okay, so just explain unschooling and what that looks Mm -hmm. like for you, because I'm going to admit that (laughs) up until like the past few months, my idea of unschooling was like, oh, they just sit and watch TV and play video games all day and don't really care what their kids do. Like, that's what I had in my mind. And I think it's really common. Yes, but then I actually took a test that was that was going around before the beginning of this school year to see like what kind of homeschooler are you? And I got unschooler, which is funny mm. because we use a classical um, curriculum. Like we don't use the same curriculum for everything, but we do more of the classical mm-hmm. style. So I like the classic, the classic literature and I teach Latin and things like that. But I don't nice. like check the boxes and follow the schedule. I do it like the way I want to do it. Like we play lots of games mm. and we go outside and play games and things like that. So I got unschooler and I was like, Hmm. Hmm. I really started looking into that more and I found, I heard you guys on the homeschool project podcast. Uh, And so then I started listening to your podcast and I was like, okay, so I think my mindset really is more of an unschooler. mm. I just didn't really know what that was, you know, so just kind of explain that and how, what that looks Mm -hmm. like for you, because I think it looks different for everybody. Yeah, I think I think that's the beauty of it is that unschooling does look so different for each family. So for us, that's essentially it's wild schooling because that's my children's interest. So it's essentially just following your child's lead. But it, you are still involved because as the parent, a don't neglect your child, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, and b we're still trying to give them the best start to their life. So it, for me, it's about just providing opportunities for them to follow their interests, and it really is as simple as that. So my eldest, for example, is into um, Lego at the moment. They so uh, just so you get a glimpse of what our week looks like this term, but it is vastly different every term because we sign up to different activities and COVID put a spanner in the works, obviously as well. So this term we're doing a Lego class, a parkour class. We were doing art class, and then they do kindy, and that's it. So we don't sit down and do reading, writing, arithmetic. We don't do social sciences. Um, but, you know, throughout, as well as those, we might go and do, like my eldest is a real bird nerd. He loves uh, bird watching. So we went and did a homeschool tour with a very knowledgeable uh, bird expert up in our local rainforest, and we did that with a group of about, gosh, it would have been nearly 40 homeschoolers. We got broken up into groups and just to see his eyes light up and for his knowledge to be appreciated and to be not applauded, but you know what I mean, um, celebrated down there and not not the opposite, which can happen in a school system if you're a bit of a nerd or you're an expert in things that aren't typically Mm -hmm. cool. So that was those kind of things. We pick up those all the time, whether it's uh, birding or turtle watch or... It's all very outdoorsy and nature-based for us, and that's probably come from us. They're not rebelling against our interests yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one that I'm probably going to struggle with as we get a bit older is my eldest does would, if we let him have the chance, would love to get involved more in video games. Yeah, and I should actually clarify that. My son's hardly even seen video games. <laughs> but when, okay. when he was a very young child, he's a very even-tempered child, always has been. Um, but around six months old, we saw him chucking the hugest tantrums if we turned the TV off in front of him. So we made a decision that, right, that's it. We're turning the TV off because this is obviously messing with him <laughs> and causing yeah. like severe emotional dysregulation. So that, right, okay, that's not healthy for him at this age of development. And it's funny because from there, that turning that TV off actually just created this beautiful snowball effect within our family. And that's when my business started. That's when we started doing other things outside of the home. Um, and 
we just the extra free time at night really lent itself to being creative ourselves. Um, so long story short, he still loves the TV. If he could, if, if there's a TV on, he's blank. You can walk in front of him, you can dance in front of him, and he's just got this tunnel vision. So, and he loves it. He has that drives had, me crazy. Oh, that drives me crazy. <laughs> same. It drives me bonk. And look, it's a chicken or the egg thing. I don't know if because we've withheld it from him that he just wants it and he's taking whatever he can get. So look, we, we may have caused that, but... It's different in our youngest son. While he's watching it, um, he's a bit more present. So, look, I've done a ton of research on screens and the effects they have on children. While I wholeheartedly believe in unschooling, I also believe as a parent that we're responsible for making, helping them make good choices in regards to their health. So food, exercise, sleep, and screens is actually one of them, and social media. So... We, they watch one to two movies a week. Uh, we don't have uh, TV, like free-to-air television with adverts on it because to me the advertising's just as, uh, what's the word, uh, troublesome as, as the TV shows themselves. It's, it's just for him, he has trouble with the addiction of it. So um, as he gets older and he's able to regulate that a bit more, we'll let more of that in. But oh. it's more we're trying to stimulate the brain that's obviously seeking those kind of entertainment things elsewhere. So the Lego and the robotics, and if he's into computers and whatnot, then we're trying to steer it that way so that it's active rather than passive. So robotics class rather than watching about robots or playing games with robots in them. But, you know, there's a lot to be said for, I think video games are different in the way that, again, it's not passive and there is that social element to it, but how they pass some of those video games as uh, for children oh, look i'm that's i'm very relaxed in a lot of areas but video games and screens is the one an area that i am a bit authoritarian on so i probably yeah. can't say i'm complete unschooler because i don't let them go free range on video games i just it doesn't yeah. sit with me i've haven't seen him able to self-regulate that yet when he's able to then we'll, we'll start doing it bite by bite Yes. Well, it's so interesting that you bring that up because that's been a big one for me. So my mm-hmm. husband loves video games and he's mm-hmm. an electrical engineer. So he's mm-hmm. on his computer all day. And then when he has free time, he wants to play video games. And he mm-hmm. says that a lot of his, um, you know, a lot of his education came from a lot of the video mm-hmm. games. He played. And so we've always kind of struggled with, you know, how much do we let them do? Cause I'm a big, like no screens. And I feel the same way. I feel it turns, turns them into zombies. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But my eight-year-old is so much like him, and he's got he's got a very mathematical mind. Like mm-hmm, he, exactly. when he was in kindergarten, he would do multiplication for fun. Like mm-hmm. he taught himself, and so he has already learned how to code video games. Like he's working on it Amazing. on his own. I can't I can't teach him how to do that. No. So for me, like that part of it, I feel like he is. Yeah. Um, he's being, his mind is being engaged. And my four-year-old made a craft the other day and said, it's a video game that I want Everett to, to make on the computer, <laughs> you know? That's cute. So we're trying, we're just trying to like figure out the balance mm-hmm. there because he would do it all day, every day if I would let mm-hmm. him. Yeah. But and that's, it's so hard, isn't it? Because that's my yeah. other, the, probably the only thing I worry about is, you know, it's a global society we're a tech society, am I withholding him? But, you know, if you look into the Steiner research and the child development research, for me, I'm like, you know, he's eight, he's got time, he's not going to fall behind if I don't let him code now. Like, he'll still be able to pick it up really quickly in the next couple of years. So we're going to be looking for coding classes where at least for me, it's like, yeah, we can code. But again, I can't teach him that. I know nothing, um, but I want him to be, find a really healthy mentor, which you've got one in your husband, obviously, that can teach him that with the healthy guidelines. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I have noticed too, um, he, like, he, he likes to play outside too. So my four-year-old, mm. he would play outside all day, every day if I'd let him. My eight-year-old, I have, I have to kind of coax him into it. But once he's out there, he wants to be out there for hours. So I feel mm. like as long as he's spent most of his day doing, you know, his schoolwork, playing outside, mm. playing with Legos, playing with his siblings, then he can have, and doing his chores, that's a big thing for us is they have to get mm. their chores done then he can have some time to work on the coding. And I mean, I do think he's really learning when he does it. Yeah, it's just, absolutely. It's hard for me because I don't like to be on my computer all the time. Like it turns my mind. I feel like I just couldn't have that kind of a job. You know? No, yeah, same. I struggle after, yeah, a couple of hours. And again, it's really hard not to put your own 
um, preferences on your children. I think that there's one where I definitely still am. And I'm with, I feel like now that he's eight, I don't know what it is, but the magical number for me was definitely after seven. And for me, I am like, okay, I can, there's a bit more, I can just see he's more ready to be able to understand the logic behind why we're making those choices with boundaries. So, and he can co-create those healthy boundaries, which is good. Yeah, I think so too. So let's go back a little bit because we had talked about, um, we had started talking about unschooling before we cut mm. off. I was, I was just curious because you had mentioned you don't do any formal academics mm. right now. Is that, yeah. gonna, is that how you plan to continue or do you have like a certain time? Like I know I, I really like to look at, at what Finland does and how they don't start formal education until like mm. eight or nine. Are you looking at that or are you looking at continuing the path that you're on? At the moment, I think we'll just continue it, um, mainly because we're seeing them learn anyway. So, yes, they would probably be behind in, well, reading they'd be on par, maths I think they'd be on par, maybe slightly behind. Um, Mainly it's handwriting. But my eldest, again, he's a lefty, but he's so ambidextrous, he he just can't pick. He still just can't pick. And I don't want him to choose yet because I think it's really great for him to be developing both sides. So that's okay. Um again, it probably helps as a teacher to know, again, know that the spectrum of learning is so vast. So falling behind to me is a nonsense. It's a nonsense thing. Every child's on their own journey and we shouldn't be comparing them because they'll be ready when they're ready for those things. As long as they're reading, writing and can do their math, their simple math and everything else they learn. So it really depends what they want to do as they get older. Um, But I, I think that because of unschooling of the way it is, if he chooses, for example, I really want to go and do a degree in, I don't know, snake studies, you know, herpetolo- herpetology, that sounds not right. But <laughs> well, then he's, he's going to know and be self-motivated to do the things he needs to do to get to that I don't point. Know. I have to say, though, I hope none of my kids want to go into snake yeah. studies. <laughs> we have had, oh, my goodness, we have had the snakiest year I, we have ever had this year. We've seen a snake every week down at Forest Kindy. Yeah, oh I, was gonna say, I haven't seen one this week because I haven't been, but we found a snake in the car park. It was dead yesterday that the children had a look at and learned about. We've learned a lot about snakes this term. Wow. <laughs> snakes, I don't like snakes. I don't know. Which we don't, my, my kids are, they're always talking about all the scary things in Australia, like the big spiders and the snakes and stuff. Yeah. So maybe. <laughs> no, but you guys have big things like mountain lions and bears. Ours are all small and yeah, it's funny how you get used to your own scary creatures, isn't it? <laughs> that would See, still scare me. Yeah, I was only in the States for not quite two years and I saw probably three, four separate bear, account, but I was hiking and I was travelling, so it's a bit different when you're on the road, I think, in national parks. But, yeah, that was, that was very confronting for me, but I can understand how snakes can be the reverse. <laughs> Yeah, well, we've seen them. I mean, we've seen them for sure. We have a lot of snakes around here. I just mm. haven't gotten too close. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. not going to say, oh, that's a homeschool lesson. I'm yeah. going to be like, let's run away. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, they've been so common that I've felt like we, we've had to, to so that the, my boys don't get that fear, but a healthy respect of them that I've had to, I've had to do a lot of work myself. Don't worry, I, I wasn't this comfortable straight out of the womb. It's taken a lot of work. <laughs> I think that's really good. Mm, it's, um, I need to I need to learn from that and be more be more like that. <laughs> look, dead dead ones are far better to learn from, I think. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Um so do you still do forest school in all types of weather? Or do you really like what's the weather like there even in the winter? Do you ever yeah. have it's a bit of a joke when we say all weather because we have the perfect climate. <laughs> you know, um, it doesn't snow here. It doesn't get below zero here. Um, it does get hot and sticky, but we run from a creek from our, most of our programs. And the worst we get is a tropical thunderstorm. So, you know, quite, but even then, I think because we run in the morning and not the afternoons, we generally miss the thunderstorms. We just get the big, heavy, you know, big raindrops, but they're the most memorable days for the children. You know, we put up a couple of flies and flyovers and a couple of tarps and children hilariously wear their rain jackets because it's usually hot when it's raining like this. It's not cold here when it rains. We have the wet season. So they get hot and sweaty in it and they take it off and they just end up running around till they get cold and 
we pack up and go home. So, and they love yeah. it. We have mud slides and we do mud skating and mud fights and yeah, it's their most memorable um, days. Um, yeah. Yeah. My kids <laughs> love playing in the rain. I could see that. Definitely. Mm. That's awesome. So what's, what do you think the coolest thing is that you've seen a child accomplish at forest Mm, school? That's a good question. I think it's overcoming their fears. So again, we've had children and and plenty of mamas who are terrified, almost phobic of snakes or spiders or the sensory, um, you know, issues. What else? A fear of heights and they just week by week because they're in a safe environment and there's not that pressure and you know we would, we would never make a child hold a snake you know when we have the snake handlers come out and they run snake information class and snake first aid then it's, it's never you know every child has to hold it it's you can be as far away as you need to be to feel comfortable but that's certainly how we've overcome many a phobia and fear for snakes is having the snake handlers come in um, same with the spiders, you know, put them in the bug jars or the, and the catchers and then they can know that they can handle them safely from a distance and we can learn about them. But it's just that whole knowledge is power, I think. Um, and then seeing children that are quite, say, how am I going to put this, weak cause, people that, children that can't perhaps navigate their environments safely because they're used to flat, flat footpaths and flat houses and sitting in a car in the air conditioning and flat classrooms. And then they come down to our environment where it's hilly and tree roots and um, it makes them learn very quickly to watch where they're walking when they haven't really had to do that before, but them navigating and building their physical strength and their coordination to be able to finally keep up with the older, not the older children, but just the children that have been coming for a long period of time. You can see the progression happen so quickly. So that's it. That's good. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. I really want to find something like that here now. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's becoming more and more common. And I think people can see, particularly after COVID, how necessary it is, Um, not just for the physical benefits, but, you know, we have plenty of parents that come down for their children and then they keep signing back up because they just say being in the forest for three hours where I don't have to think about the dishes or I'm not answering phone calls is just as good for my mental health as it is for the children. So yeah Yeah. let's talk about that a little bit I don't remember Mm. where I heard you say this I think it may have been on one of your podcast episodes but you were talking about um the some studies you'd looked at about anxiety and depression and how being Mm. out in nature helps with that so can you talk a little bit about that yeah there's a bunch which is great it seems silly that we need those kind of research papers but it just solidifies I think what we know anyway but um being out in nature or even seeing having an open window that looks out on greenery or even a painting of something green or blue reduces stress anxiety depression and actually boosts your immune system so there's multiple research papers on that now um, it's not just and grounding your feet. You know, we used to say that was just for hippies, but now it's it's proven that having your feet in the earth is actually really good for you. Not just again physically, but it actually helps you reground and balance your emotions. So, fresh air, sunlight, water, and love—that's what most creatures in the world need, and that's what we can do really easily at Forest School. So, it's not a cure-all, but you know, there's a reason doctors prescribe walking and walking in nature because it's proven over and over again to be the best form of exercise and so good for our mental health. Yes. So have you seen that in yourself since you used to be a teacher and now you do this? Have you seen a change in your own mental health? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And some of that was because I felt I couldn't be my authentic self as a teacher, I think. And it took me a long while to pinpoint that. I couldn't work out what it was, but it was my values in teaching high school boys where I knew they were interested in motorbikes or mechanics or surfing, but I was so restricted within our curriculum because there's so much pressure to be able to, you know, moderate everybody and put them at the exact same level that I couldn't even change an assignment to say, all right, we're going to, we're studying this and I need an assignment about this. But in our final years of school, I can't give you the flexibility for you to do yours on motorbikes and yours to do yours on surfing. It has to be about the same book or the same topic. And that was really infuriating for me because those micro changes would have made all the difference in their engagement. Um, And, you know, by then they're adults, you know, and they're still asking to go to the toilet and they're still having to seek permission and they're constantly being disempowered when at that age they need to be given responsibility and given that power uh, to make those decisions about their own life. So a lot of the mental health issues I saw in in my high school classrooms were um, about, teenagers feeling like they had no power or authority and control over their own lives. So 
in forest school and unschooling and homeschooling, I love that we have that option to let them pursue and make choices about their own lives and give them some control back. Says me that's not letting my child play video games. (laughs) There's a bit of a level of hypocrisy here. (laughs) Yes, that's okay. There's, I mean, I'm sure you could find some kind of way to combine the outdoors and video games. Yeah. And you know, he still dips in at friends' houses and things like that. So he still has those opportunities. It's just not a regular occurrence at a house yet. So yeah. 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 Well, my son, he was, so he did a little craft project with a pine cone and some popsicle sticks and he made this little maze and he said it was a video game. And I was like, that is the best video game you could play. You know, that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) More of those, please. Yes. Yeah, so go. So back a little bit to when we were talking about the public school system. So when you were, is it the same in Australia as it is here? Like basically we're teaching to the end of the year test. Like that's mm-hmm. basically what we're doing all year long. Okay. Yeah. We, um, we have our government test. It's called NetPlan, which is essentially reading, writing, uh, arithmetic. Um, but we don't teach to the test. I'm, I'm on video here, quote, unquote. We don't teach to the test, <laughs> quote, unquote. Um, but everything's steered towards that. So every assessment piece for that year, if we know that the NAPLAN tests are going to be on persuasive writing, then all of our pieces of assessment for that year are based around create, you know, persuasive writing. So it's yeah. infuriating. We waste days and days of preparing for the test, practicing tests, and yet, you know, we're still publicly saying to the media that we don't. We don't teach to the test. So it's just wasting childhood to me. And it's, again, it's one day and it's one test. So if they're having a bad day, if grandma died or the dog died the day before, then you're not getting a realistic portrayal of where your child's at anyway. And any good teacher should and will know where your child is at without these tests. So I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for getting rid of them, frankly. Oh, yeah. I'm, I totally agree. That's always a problem for me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> In college, like we were, we were taught all of these great ways to teach and I was so excited to use them. And we would talk about like the Montessori method and all these different ways that we could teach to try to make it more fun. And so they would be out of their seats. And then when you get into the school system, you realize you're not actually allowed to do any of that. So, and you don't have time either because the curriculum is so overloaded and overcrowded and so dry and you've just got to get it done before the next one happens that, not much time for fun anymore, but not in high school. I, I, on, I can't vouch for primary school these days. I think there's an amazing primary school teachers that have a bit more flexibility in their days, but high school, it's so regimented to be able to moderate, to keep up, to make sure everyone's graded fairly. But I think while the grades might be fair, it's not fair on children to be graded against each other like that. What's that um, quote where, you know, today we're going to be um, grading you on swimming and there's a bird and an elephant and a fish. <laughs> that's how I feel the high school system is is we're all going to grade you on this one thing despite the fact you've got no interest in it so yeah well I was in elementary school which I guess what you would call primary school is the same way way. and there's you know no more play anymore recess is only like 20 minutes and that's what's taken away if they're quote-unquote bad you know (laughs) Uh that drives me crazy too same Well, I'll probably probably need to get away from this before I say something I shouldn't say. (laughs) So how would you recommend like, so for for us and for our circles, we, Mm -hmm. so we love going to park, but you know, you you go to parks and you constantly see the parents like following their kids around with their arms up, like don't fall off, you know, Mm -hmm. how could you for, for us to, to add some wild schooling and nature schooling Mm -hmm. or like helicopter parents? You know. <laughs> yeah, I think that village is, is a really good start having the um, other parents around so that even if it's just one of you on patrolling the playground, at least the rest of you can be off. And that's one set of eyes is enough. You know, you don't need every parent on every child as long as there's someone there going, oh, you're one year old and you probably shouldn't be jumping from that height. Um, yeah. Not shouldn't, but I'm not sure if you can. And it's just having those conversations with your children. So rather than saying, you know, be careful or you're going to hurt yourself, we rearrange that to say, oh, what's your plan here? 
And that way you can actually test them to say, so they might have to stop and think, yes, but then 99% of the time they have a plan or they weren't actually going to jump. They were just leaning out to look at somebody. So um, I think that's a really good one or just retelling stories. Oh, I remember when Nikki jumped off that height and she broke her arm because she was just a little bit small. And while we're probably, I wouldn't use that example because it's really quite fear-based, but it's just asking them, do you feel safe? Do you feel comfortable? Do you think you can jump without hurting yourself? And if they think they can, then we do just need to trust them and just be there for if, if they do hurt themselves. But children, and we've got to stop putting our stories on them. My, my children yesterday at our Chris on Sunday were jumping from the top of a playground roof and it was quite high. And even I looked up and went, oh, that's high. But I immediately put my story on there. Like my, I've got a bad knee and to jump from there, I, I oh, felt the body discomfort I would feel if I jumped. But they're sponges and their joints are so cushioned <laughs> still yeah. at the moment. But by that's not letting true. them practice that at that early age, then that's when they become uncoordinated and that's when they do become unsafe because they don't know their bodies and their bodies aren't strong enough to support them. So letting them experiment wherever they can, you know, starting with a small log or log steps and then working their way up. But you know, not helping them into a tree, not helping them up to a playground if they can't get up. I'm sorry, if you if you can't get up to that playground, then you're actually not ready to be up at that height without me oh. actually monitoring you. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> or if you're happy yeah. to, then yeah, to me, they make playgrounds to to suit certain ages. And if they can't get up themselves, then they are too small for that particular playground. So, yeah. Yeah, have you ever had a situation where a kid gets up like in a tree or somewhere higher than than they're comfortable with and then they freak out like do you what do you do in that yeah situation? um do you work on them getting down by themselves yeah. or do you pick them up and get them down yeah and it's pretty i think as a parent you know whether they're going to be able to get down or not but we at least make them try so <laughs> so not make them but we ask them to try so we will sit there and say oh, I can see you're, you're feeling like you're stuck, but I saw you get up. So if you got up, then you're absolutely able to get down, but it might take a bit of practice. So we teach them the koala hold. So we get them to, because a lot of children want to come back down face first and they're top heavy. So that doesn't often work. And it's quite frightening because you're looking down and you've got you know nothing to grip and you're gripping behind you. So if you um, get them to turn around like a koala and cuddle it with two arms and two legs, you know, koalas, that's how they get up and down trees is, they cuddle the tree and you're really safe that way. And rather than grabbing them, you might just put your hands out wherever you can reach them and just support them if they fall and just tell them that I've got you. If you fall, I've got you. I'm here. You're safe. Nothing's going to happen. Um, I'm just going to coach you down. You know, put your left foot here, put this hand here. And that's how they practice. And that's how they start hanging from their limbs and building that strength again so that they can work their way down. But it's practice. It's like everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So I know you have to go and I know it's been like crazy with, you know, the do nothing up and everything. What is like a last bit of advice that you could just give to people who are just starting out homeschooling this year? Maybe mm. they're homeschooling because of COVID. And I know a lot of them are really worried about what curriculum to use, if they're going to mm. be able to back to school and if they're going to be, you know, on par with the other students. So it's just yeah. a, a bit of you could give to kind of help calm those nerves? I would say, A, trust your child. They're capable and able. But B, also take the pressure off yourself um, of comparing to others because your child chose you. Your child came to you for a reason and they came to you with the gifts and just the way they are for a reason. So the more that we can just be there to support them to become their own individual self, um, and to find out what their gifts are. There's that beautiful saying that something along the lines of um, if your child is struggling with maths but is great at tennis and loves it, then get your child a tennis coach, not a maths coach. So yeah. for me, it's finding those gifts and really helping them shine in those areas and just supporting them in those basic, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic until they're comfortable to get to that basic level of literacy, not basic, but, you know, at least covering essential literacy. And then they'll pick it up anyway because when they any pursuit and any passion requires reading writing and math it just does so if you can anyhow teach that through their interest then you're going to have far less battles on your hands <laughs> and so your relationships will be healthier and you know happy home happy child happy parents so yeah that would probably be my advice great that's great advice and also yeah. where can people yeah so we're at wildlingsforestschool.com we're on facebook and instagram 
Uh, we're on LinkedIn, but not very well. So Facebook and Instagram is the best place to find us. And if you're looking for our podcast, we're Raising Wildlings. And oh, I'm trying to think that's about it, I think, but mainly Facebook and Insta. Yes. Well, I've really enjoyed your podcast. So I highly oh, recommend you. people to go and listen to that. It's been a lot of fun and it's really helped me understand more about what unschooling and wild schooling really is. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And I know it's getting late in the day there. So thanks for making the time. And I don't know if you know, but Carla was really sick. So thank you for persevering and still, still oh, coming to. Yeah. Well, I'm okay now, but yes, I have. I know. <laughs> we've had, um, we've tried to do this two weeks ago. Yeah. And because of, because I had COVID and all my family has it, we had to um, we had to postpone. So thank you for keep for rescheduling with me twice now. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, no, I, I know what it's like, and I'm just glad you and everyone are okay and on the mend. And best of luck for your next couple of weeks. <laughs> thank you. I need it. <laughs> all right. All right. So bye.